You're listening to the Village Church Podcast Show, episode 31. This is Matt Chandler. I'm joined today by my guest host, Jen Wilkin, best-selling author, Jen Wilkin. Jen, do you want to say hi or anything? Hi. Or, okay, hi. there we Glad go. Glad to be Jen's, here. <laughs> Jen's with us. So here in a bit, Gloria Furman is going to join us to discuss motherhood, the gospel. She's got a great new book out called Missional Motherhood, so can't wait for her to unpack that. Those are two words that don't tend to be put together often, Jen, huh? Not often enough, that's okay. for sure. There we go. And then um, from there, we're going to be taking a break. Uh, this episode from Ask TBC, um, just that there weren't a lot of questions. And so we, we just decided we'll take a break now and then come back the next episode, Lord willing, and and tackle those. So, Jen, let, let's talk a little bit about parenting. Just uh, Gloria, the expert, apparently will join us uh, shortly. Uh, but for now, you, you, tell me the ages of your kids. I mean, you, you've got like seven or something. You, weren't you on a <laughs> TLC show at one time? That would have been great. No, we have four, and we had four in four years, so they're 20, 19, 18, and 16 right now. Nice. Yeah. So I'm, I'm in a bit of a different place in mm-hmm. life. I've got a 13-year-old, um, a 10-year-old, and a just-turned 7-year-old. So yeah. um, I, I think maybe I'd, I'd love to have the discussion with you about uh, having college-age students and college-age kids, not just students, and and then high school students, in, and then considering where I am in life about parenting in in regards to maybe the the long term as a, right. as opposed to like when you've got elementary school kids, there there tends to be this pressure to just survive, right. Right. And I think even for kids that are younger than that, too, a lot of us spend those earliest years of childhood just kind of maintaining and trying to live until we put them to bed at night. And you put them down at the end of the day and you're like, I don't want to see you again. And then next morning you're ready to go. You're like, get him up. I like him again. (laughs) New mercies. Can we apply that verse to that? New mercies every day? Yeah. But I think, you know, when we are parenting for the long term, we're asking a whole different set of questions than we are when we're just trying to survive the day. It means that when conflict arises or when you're trying to train uh, toward a particular outcome, you're just going to do it differently than if all you're wanting to do is maintain the peace or hold on to your sanity until bedtime. So can you unpack that a little bit? Did you guys have um, like a board with rules on it? Did you guys make contracts? Like like flesh out how? Because I think everyone listening right now, there's like, yes, that's good. Yeah. But they don't really, okay, so what does that mean? I think, you know, the, it's a consistency game. And uh, it's funny to me how many emails I'll get from parents when their kids are, you know, right around two and a half. And they'll say, I, I think I have a strong-willed child. And I'm thinking, <laughs> no, you have a two and a half year old. I mean, sure. that's what, you know, there are, most of us are pretty strong-willed. And I think that most parents, myself and Jeff included, just underestimate the resolve of, of our children. Sure. And so we think, I've done this with you 10 times. Aren't we done yet? And the answer is no. You have to do it 100 times or 1,000 times. And, and so for parents of young children, so much of it is, I know that this is the right measured response to this behavior. I have to hold them accountable. I have to have a set of consequences in place so that they're able to make a direct connection between dangerous or difficult behaviors and, and, and negative things happening. But I'm tired. And so sure. a lot of it is just staying the course and doing the right thing again without losing it. So, so how, do you, how do you kind of root yourself? Um, in it, because I, I, I believe not, so not, not a mom. I've got a stay-at-home mm-hmm. wife who, mm-hmm. you know, I wish she could have joined us today also. Um, but how do you kind of root your heart in the day knowing that you can 
organize it and plan it and have your deal. And, <laughs> but you don't know how they're waking up. You don't know how. And, and so in, in a very real way, I, I think what I get to do is a bit easier than what Lauren gets to do. Um, because for the most part, like I know what my day today looks like and, yeah. and I know if this meeting's coming that, that this meeting might very well be difficult and I can prepare my heart for that, but, right. but I don't have to wake up and prepare my heart for 10,000 different contingencies and, yeah. and what could happen. So how do you kind of yeah. root your heart, uh, as a stay at home mother, um, or, or let's just say as a mother. Mom in general, yeah. yeah. It's an interesting stage of life because you do actually tend to have a great deal of discretion over setting the calendar, but you have virtually no control over whether anybody sticks to it or not. And so you have to really tell yourself at the beginning of the day, I, I think this is what helped me a lot was whatever happens today, I'm not going to take it personally. Like it's not going to hit me as an indictment on whether I'm a good parent or yeah. not, whether my kids manage to my expectations or not. As a parent, it's my job to have the expectation and to help them rise to it. But rising to it happens over the course of 18 years, not usually over the course of, you know, 12 hours. Sure. Is there, I would love to hear your thoughts on it. There, there appears to be um, in the rise of information mm-hmm. where, where we've got more than we've ever had yeah. at, at our fingertips, uh, that, that expectations for what a good parent is m- might seem right. a, a little off. Like, yeah. like there seems to be this pressure. I, I know here at the village, there's this pressure um, that, to be perfect, everything from their diet to right. their dress to their can, – can you speak a little bit about kind of realistic parenting and, and, and where grace fits into that and where we have to allow ourselves to be imperfect and be fully human and – and that be okay, and that doesn't ruin or destroy our kids if they have goldfish that aren't, right. you know, organic. organic. <laughs> yeah, which whatever that is, I've yet to see the goldfish tree. Yeah, it's killer how many points of comparison there are for young moms and dads today. And I think it's important for us to keep in mind that each home contains a set of unique individuals. And so your home doesn't look like anybody else's home, which means that anything that you're reading or comparing yourself to, you've got to approach it with with some critical thinking and say, I'm going to take what I can use and I'm going to leave what I can't use behind. I could give you all kinds of parenting advice, but mine is going to come from my experience with having four kids who were basically a peer group because they were so close in age. That's yeah. going to look different in my home than it's going to look in your home where you've got Audrey and Nora who are how many years Six apart? Years. Six, Six years. years apart. Yeah. So that's that's a really different dynamic they're going to well, have. I really, I remember when we found out that Nora was a girl mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, thank goodness, they'll never fight over clothes. So I don't, <laughs> because I grew up with two sisters who were closer together and they were always screaming mm-hmm. at each other because they would borrow each other's clothes. Yeah. And so I, I totally just prepared my heart to not have to worry too much about that. But then Audrey, you know, now steals Lauren's clothes. Right. And now I watch Lauren and Audrey fight over clothes. Not so much Lauren wanting to wear Audrey's, but Audrey stealing Lauren's. So... Um, yeah, nobody gets out clean. No, nobody gets out clean. And it and it is a it's kind of a mess sometimes, but that's okay because again, if you're not if you're not gauging your success or failure based on how the day went, instead yeah. if you're looking at, hey, I've got eighteen years with this kid, uh, I'm gonna and even if today maybe didn't go as I would have hoped, I'm gonna get up tomorrow and I'm gonna I'm gonna try again. Yeah. So let's talk because I think a, a vast and I don't know the the numbers, but I think a lot of people that listen to um, the the podcast show are, are are more than likely ministers and and men and so can can you can you coach us uh, on how to be good husbands and fathers especially if we consider um, a wife that's a stay at home mom how, how how might you correct our lenses that that would help us 
be better husbands and fathers. Coming home from work, some of us long hours. Not all, of, not everybody's a pastor. Some right. some some guys working twelve hours, you, you know, welding or twelve hours as a lawyer or, right. or whatever. How, how would you coach um, a, a a man to come home as a father and a dad and and both support, encourage, and hold up in a very real way um, his wife. I think one of the things that has helped at least Jeff and me with that has been that we can recognize our own propensity to either be the parent who says yes or the parent who says no right off the bat. Okay, which and one are you? So I, I'm the I'm the no parent. You totally I know are you're the so no not parent. shocked by that. I know. <laughs> and and Jeff is actually he's fairly he could be a no parent as well, but he's definitely the fun parent. And and so I think for him, if he had come home at the end of the day and said, Oh, you've had no all day long, now it's just fun time, you know, that can feel like sort of it sabotages everything that I've done all day long or vice versa. I mean, sometimes it's the, the dad shows up and he's the heavy and mom's been just, you know, trying to, it's, it's not inherently wrong to be either a yes parent or a no parent, but you do have to fight for balance there. And so rather than sort of discrediting one per, one parent's parenting style to say, okay, now I'm going to add my my style to the mix and we're going to do this together. And so I think just remembering whether you're the parent that's there all day long or the parent who tends to walk in at the end of the day, that this is a partnership. It's not, okay, now I'm going to offset whatever <laughs> you've been doing while you were. And also as the no mom, just don't show up and be the fun guy right at 9 p.m. So wrong. Are you the fun parent? I totally am. Are you? Lauren oh. would call me the rec coordinator if she was here. So, but she's not necessarily a no. Um, yeah, but I, I just think I, I have more life force or vitality yeah. or whatever you want to call it. And plus I like to, I mean, I want to play with water balloons. And right. so I don't right. have a lot of options That's to do Jeff. that at work. Yes. He's looking for playmates. Yeah, I totally Sometimes am. more than. Yeah, sure. So you did say something that I'm, I've always been intrigued by. And honestly, it comes up a lot as we do marital counseling and as we get into kind of the muck and mire with people that, that there, you, you really are two different people have come mm-hmm. together to form, you know, one flesh as the right. Bible would put it. And, and now they're parenting children. And so so even if I think about my relationship with Lauren, like um, birthdays were just not a huge deal in, in my house growing up. I mean, mm-hmm. you got a present, you got a cake, maybe you got to tell mm-hmm. mom, you know, to cook your favorite meal. And then that was it. But Lauren's family, like every birthday is like a Jewish wedding. It's like yeah. two weeks long. It's like they get like a car when they're four. <laughs> and so I'm like, what are we what are we doing? So Lauren and I actually had to work through, okay, how are we going to do birthdays here? Because we can't be, you know, this is, it's gotten a little ridiculous. It's we're going to be on an MTV show if we don't stop this. Yeah, we've had the exact same situation, only I'm the one who had the, the you know, the bare minimal birthdays and Jeff had sort of like the week long festivity. And, and so we, we did have a lot of discussion around that. And it was one of the first places where we were able to see, wow, we both came from really different homes. And so how do we make this home have sort of a unified front on things? And it is, it ends up being, of course, all about compromise. And, and, and I had to set aside this, why are you guys so nuts. You know, what's the matter with you people? Like we walk into it, I think with sort of a disdain because their experience is different from ours. But then when I became the recipient of all of my mother-in-law's lavish gift giving, I was like, this does not stink. I think there's room for this in my understanding of family. So (laughs) let's expand my horizons. Help me, help me see how this works. I I love it, man. There's a, it's a real joy uh, to be a parent and to um, navigate waters. It's always changing. And and as you said earlier, Mm -hmm. um, there isn't some sort of um, 
here's the silver bullet, here's the magic formula. Yeah, it's just, if only. Yeah, it's just kind of day in, day out faithfulness. Yeah. Even though you should write a book, you could call it oh my Silver gosh. Bullets, the, the Art of Parenting by Jen and Jeff Wilkin. I would buy that book. You've been a big help. Thanks. I, I might even blurb it. <laughs> I don't know, though. I might not. I might not. Well, um, this has been fun. We're going to take a break here, and then we'll be right back with Gloria Furman to talk more about motherhood, mission, and more. Okay, we are back with our guest today, Gloria Furman. Gloria is a wife and a mother and really a notable writer. She's uh, authored a number of books, uh, The Pastor's Wife, uh, Word-Filled Women's Ministry, Glimpses of Grace, uh, Treasuring Christ When Your Hands Are Full. And her latest book is a book entitled Missional um, motherhood. Gloria lives with her family in Dubai. There her husband serves as the pastor of Redeemer Church of Dubai, just a beautiful congregation, uh, just a, a, a great body of faith. Uh, and so welcome to the show, Gloria. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Now, what time is it there? It's 7.37 p.m. Oh, so That's late in the evening bad. there. N- none of this matters since the podcast will go out and people will listen to it at varying times. But I felt led to <laughs> ask. Right. I wanted to. Josh is gone. I'm asking it. Yes. So, okay. Um, yes. Hello now, from the future. Yeah, hello from the future. <laughs> how, how is tonight? Tonight's Wednesday good. Wednesday was awesome. All yeah, right. Wednesday was great. Jesus is on his throne still. Uh, ruling and reigning in perfect wisdom. Okay, well, I'll take that. I will take it. Hey, take what else? So I gave <laughs> I gave kind of a formal introduction of you. What else should the people listening know about you? Like, like I know um, that that you work as a doula. Can you explain that a little bit? Sure. Um, I volunteer when I'm able to help women uh, with antenatal um, needs that they have, and then if I'm available to come to the uh, hospital, then I show up there and take however long it takes <laughs> for the babies to be born, and I serve them. Um, you know what? Can you hear that? Uh, yeah, it doesn't matter, though. We like kids it's in the charming. background. We're talking about missional motherhood here. Yeah. You love if, that? Okay. If there's not kids in the background, we would believe that you're not telling <laughs> We'd the be truth. Worried. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I need to make it known that they are being looked after. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We have you on record. Um, yeah. Right. On record, they're being looked after. Uh, so um, what that looks like practically is reaching out for women who are um, needing encouragement and then specific practical help um, with giving birth. And so uh, it's really easy to follow up relationally with these women, so I consider it a great privilege in the ministry. Um, super easy to say, uh, hey, little baby so-and-so is six weeks old now. Um, how's it going? Can I pray for you? Um, six months, one year, two years. It's very easy to follow up um, relationships like that versus the awkward in every culture. Hey, we met at a coffee shop six months ago. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I kind of want to follow up with your friendship. That's, yeah. a, that's a pretty um, good entree yeah. into friendship. Yeah. Is it just like Call the Midwife? Right. Is it just like an episode of Call the Midwife every time? In Dubai, probably, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like that. Like, so you lost me. I know there's a show called Call the Midwife, yeah. but I don't know that I've seen an episode. But Do I need to put I that in the loop? I have but I've heard. You've lived it, Gloria. You don't even need to see it. it it's just your Tuesday. That's right. So, yeah. Hey, so yeah. you And what's great to know is across the world, women from every culture love and need support when they're in those moments. 
So it's a huge ministry. Sure. Now, you've written a lot about the topic of motherhood and the gospel. And so uh, I'd love for you to kind of unpack a bit why that's such an important topic for you. And I love that we're having this conversation uh, as we can actually hear your kids in the background. So that that's awesome. So can you, why, why bring these two together so consistently? Because you've done it uh, really throughout your writings, but especially in this new book, uh, Missional Motherhood. So can you talk a bit about motherhood and the gospel? Right, yeah. Um, the, uh, the gospel being the foremost fundamental reality um, of a life um, of someone who's in Christ. And I think that ought to be the heartbeat of, um, I guess, all my thinking. And so motherhood is the thing I do on the spot every day, 24 hours a day. Um, so I'm, I'm consistently having to translate my motherhood through the gospel and have that be the one great narrative through which I'm interpreting everything I see. Otherwise, motherhood becomes the one great reality, and the gospel I try to squeeze in. So um, I want it the other way around. I want to have the meta narrative of Scripture, God's mission, um, to be running through my mind, and everything has to come, be filtered through that and see it. And I think uh, motherhood especially needs to be treated this way um, because we're told so many other stories about it. Um, I, I live with women from all over the world, and their stories about motherhood um, are diverse and different. Um, what a mom is, what her purpose is, what children are, what their purpose is, um, everything from we're just making our tribe bigger to this is a practical function of society and really a robot could do it. You know, things like this, all these different stories, and I think we need a distinctly Christian interpretation of what motherhood is. So that's why I keep beating that drum. Well, and love how you, in the new book, Missional Motherhood, love how you positioned motherhood in the span of redemptive history. Uh, I, I would I would love for you to chat a bit about um, what all you just said means for the kind of mundane task of motherhood. So feeding children, discipline, bath time, bedtime, uh, and, and then maybe <laughs> even speak into how that might look for working moms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how it interprets the mundane. Uh, well, uh, we're in Christ, and when we look to who Jesus is, we see that he does nothing that is insignificant. Um, he does nothing that is inconsequential. Everything he does is uh, for his glory, including every bath time and discipline moment and mundane, fill the lunchbox up again, try not to put Cheetos in it, you know, stuff like that. Um, but when we look to who Christ is, um, we see that he says things like, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death in Hades. And when you remember in those mundane moments that this is the man whom you are serving, um, it helps you to see more clearly with an eternal perspective. I think working moms can appreciate that as well um, in all of the tasks that they are doing to provide for their families. Um, spiritual mothers as well, uh, as they nurture disciples in Jesus. Um, I think all of us who would attempt to nurture the life that God creates need to look to God who provides everything for that. So, uh, yeah, that's, um, that's the, the, short, the short version of it. Um, the first half of the whole book is uh, motherhood in, in the, the plan of redemption. And, um, yeah, I, I, I remember, a, yeah, I remember hearing you talk on this, and you talked about how you, you define motherhood in light of that as nurturing life in the face of death. And that totally stuck with me, like... 
I'm pretty sure I've ripped it off just to tell you the truth. And, and I think, you know, you, you used it though. I remember as a broader definition, it wasn't just dealing with moms who have physical children, right? Right. How do you you see that as an overarching role? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it comes from, I guess, our Genesis mandate, um, the creation mandate, the um, filling the earth, multiplying it, subduing it. And if this is how we are uh, fulfilling God's purpose for humanity, um, now we live in a broken world where there's the reality of of infertility, barrenness, um, people who never marry, who um, don't have biological children, certainly uh, Christianity can't be merely about making biological children, but we see who Jesus is and how he is making disciples through his spirit, and he is multiplying and filling the earth with people who bear his image. Um, and so through him and the power that he provides through his spirit, we are also participating in this filling the earth um, with image bearers of Christ. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's for every nurturing woman, every woman designed and created by God to nurture life in the face of death. I say in the face of death because um, we face death every day, whether it's those millions of deaths to self that we face or um, literal death, like a lot of the women who I see every day who deal with death, um, the women you see every day who are dealing with death, we have to know that there's hope um, beyond the just live to see another day. Uh, we want to live to see eternity uh, and see the face of Christ. Um, in that. So, um, yeah, that's the broader definition of it, the uh, nurturing life in the face of death. And so clearly, the only way you can do that is because of hope. So clearly the, I mean, the gospel speaks to the everyday fears of motherhood then. I mean, you know, we, and so then how then would you say that keeping the gospel as your vantage point on motherhood has helped you to parent, um, not from a place of fear, but from a place of hope? Yeah, a place of hope. Yeah, look, looking to Christ. Um, he's the first and the last. He says, he, I died and I came to life. <laughs> yeah. um, and if, he, uh, if he's, di- he's died and, and come to life and he's the first fruit, the first man in the new creation, and um, God will surely raise us up with him um, on that last day, then that's our big blessed hope. Not the blessed hope of I'm going to toilet train my kids. Right. Or have successful and children. We're make it to the end of school. That yeah. is a very big hope. I am hoping. I'm believing the Lord for that. <laughs> but um, at the at the end of the day, and then throughout the day, your blessed hope has got to be um, life in the new creation with Christ. That all of this has meaning and purpose. That there's not one moment that is insignificant to Him because He has created it because of who He is. Um, so the gospel speaks to motherhood because it enables all of this. Um, we wouldn't have these privileges without it. Yeah, Gloria, I'd, I'd love for you to chat. I've heard you talk about it before, but I'd love to just have it on this conversation on the podcast. Uh, there, there seems to be oftentimes uh, some sort of disconnect between discipleship and motherhood. Like I know our, our church is filled with young mothers um, who who are in a season of life where they're lamenting that, that they can't be as involved in the lives of other women as much as they want to be because of all that's going on at home, as though it, that discipleship is something that takes place outside of their home, not inside of their home. So, so can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about um, really the very act of mothering children as discipleship? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, God's given you a captive audience. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I go around my city all the time and... Um, pray that God would um, bring relationships into my lap, people whom he is calling to himself, people who have questions, people whom I can minister to. 
And I've got uh, four little ones right under my roof who have made their needs very well known. Yeah. <laughs> Vocally known. Um, and seeing them the way God sees them as eternal souls who bear his image, um, whom Jesus is worthy of their worship. Uh, so um, I think it is a great high calling and privilege to disciple my kids. I think the disconnect is hard because um, a lot of times Christianity feels privatized um, and even um, privatized, I mean, by I'm having my quiet time and it's just me and Jesus. Um, when really um, bringing your children into these relationships, like my relationship with the Lord as I read his word, uh, my relationship with the Lord as I witness to his um, His truth and grace in my life when I talk with people, they're watching my every move. Yep. Um, yeah. And they read nonverbals too, how mommy was confident or not confident in talking to that particular person about the question they had, how mommy was excited or not excited to minister in such a way or to serve somebody. They see all of that. Um, so they're, they're with me, just like when Jesus called his disciples to be with him. Um, he's given me these little guys to be with me. Um, and it's hard. I, I get that. Um, you want personal space and somebody not be crawling on you all the time. <laughs> but, uh, uh, there's grace for you. <laughs> Believe me, there is, there is grace for you. Well, let, let's talk then a bit about some of those challenges since you, you brought up that one. I, I know that uh, I was actually at a dinner uh, the other night with uh, my wife and, and some other family members and uh, had a family member where she, the, the mom of two, thought it, me being alone by myself in a hotel room is just my greatest nightmare. And then my wife was like, oh, no, no, no. I, that that's a dream just to have no one crawling on me or no one saying mom, 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 but to have, right. to be able to read a book, right. to be able to write, to be able right. to without. So, so can you talk just okay. a bit about like trying to find that space to kind of root your heart in the gospel? Because in one sense, you, you are saying that's a, that's a communal or a community project, but, but is right. there like, like, how does, how does a stay at home mom or even a working mom um, kind of find those spaces in which they can root their heart in the gospel so that they're far more, uh, I don't want to say effective, but, but more rooted in what's true uh, as they mother, as they parent? Yeah. Um, so finding, you're asking about finding the space and time yeah. for being consistent. Yeah. Um, uh, that's a good question. Um, I don't really get out much. <laughs> um <laughs> now, now, quickly, Gloria, because I think this will help. Give us the ages of your kids now. Yeah, right. My my oldest is nine, uh, then a seven, and five, and two. So um, that explains uh, why you don't get out a lot, right? Right, and it's significant to note that um, before our oldest was born, my husband developed a nerve disease, which made him physically incapable of holding babies or babysitting or doing, um, looking after the little ones. Um, on his own. So um, I think I remember the first time I had no kids on me was after I weaned our third child. Um, and it was years. And I felt really weird. And I went to the grocery store by myself. And um, that was odd. <laughs> so um, being alone uh, for me hasn't been very easy to do. I have to sacrifice things like sleep. Um, sure. So I have to lay down my idol of sleep and get up earlier than I would prefer or stay awake later than I would prefer in order to be alone and to think better 
Um, when the kids are with me uh, and I want to read, I know I need to read. I need to feast my soul in God's Word. And so I just read out loud if they're around. Um, and they're just kind of used to it. Uh, mommy's walking around reading a Bible out loud. They listen sometimes. Sometimes they don't. She's probably not um, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So just seeing it as like a family meal. We're all consuming God's Word. <laughs> um, but the... Uh, yeah, the importance of that. If husbands can help and do that, then I think that's great. Um, if if you have time and ability to do that, if you're married and your husband's able to help you get alone time um, to do that, I would say um, the temptation would probably be to not feast your soul on something helpful and healthy, like needed rest or read the Bible or prayer, um, but to, to do the things that I fantasize about sometimes, which is like staring at the wall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in silence. Yeah, because that, that sounds like a safe um, fantasy, right? Just stare at the wall. And, and yet... I would just like to stare at a wall. <laughs> That's great. I'm curious, you know, yeah. you and I are kind of, we've had a similar experience with, you know, four small children. And, and I hear mm-hmm. I hear moms talk a lot and sort of bemoan the loss of me time and how do I get me time back. And I'd, I'd be curious to hear your perspective on me time. Is me time something that we get to have when we have young kids? Should we be fighting for that? Right. Um, <laughs> I, I, when I hear that word, I, I, I just, I have to think about my context. Um In our church, there are lots of moms who've left their children back home in a foreign country, and they've come here to work for three years. They get a month off in the summers or whatever time that their job lets them off, and they go back and see their kids for a month, and they come back here, and they earn more money than they would back in their home country in order to feed their kids or um, save their elderly parents' lives with cancer medicine or build a house. Um, So when I'm talking with moms here, um, a lot of them don't have the privilege of even being with their kids all the time. They have to raise them from afar or entrust Mm -hmm. them to a grandparent or a friend or a sister um, so that they can put food on the table. So um, we say the word luxury. (laughs) It's um, it's a relative word. Um, But me time, um, it's all his time, which sounds cliche, but it really isn't cliche when you think of who is putting the oxygen in your lungs and making your brain snaps work mm-hmm. right now. Um, so uh, it's, it's his. And so whatever he's given you to do, he will give you the grace you need to do that. I think I had this argument with the Lord when our first child was born and I saw other young moms with um, husbands who were able to help. And I thought, God, why? <laughs> sure. <laughs> why can't I hand the baby off mm-hmm. and go to the bathroom? Why can't I, you know, nurse a baby and give it to my husband to burp and I can go take a nap? Why not me? And um, and the answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. So um, if you're asking the me time question from a position of feeling that God has gypped you, um, I would encourage you to see that the grace he has given you is sufficient and um, and to... And to praise him for it. Uh, and I, I say that with all the authority of a woman who's felt gypped um, by God and seen clearly in the gospel that I've been given more than I could ever ask or imagine in Christ. It seems like it's such a trick of motherhood to be sort of prepared for whatever is coming and then content for whatever my reality is. Right, right, right. Yeah, and remembering that one 
overarching reality that grounds all of that is that you are in Christ, right. and you will still be in Christ 30 billion years from now, um, which is... Uh, a long time. We are, our words fail us. Yes, it's a long Very, time. very long and time. 30 billion. Yeah. Not, you could have gone million there, right. but you rolled it up, Glory. I respect that. Billion. Billion. I trillion, but I wanted to be more practical. Yeah, it turns well, out we're not middle-aged after all, I was Matt. about to That's say, I'm a very young man. Mm-hmm. Very young man. Hey, let's <laughs> chat. I would, I would love to just hear your thoughts on, and, and I know some of the context might... Well, no, you know, I, I think it, this probably plays out, especially even where, I mean, everywhere you are these days. But uh, I know one of the things we see at the village here in Dallas is that um, social media and Instagram and those kind of things have created this space in which digitally everyone looks like mom and dad of the year. Uh, and it looks like no one struggles or no one ever snaps at their children and, and kids are just always happy. And, and so then this creates this idol of comparison um, that, that then we begin to feel like we're failing or we don't measure up or we don't. Can, can you chat a little bit about um, how the gospel speaks in to this idolatry uh, of comparing with others and, and trying to stack and, and see where you measure up with everyone else? Yeah, um, it helps to remember um, who Jesus is and who you are in him. Um, for you, you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Um, so compare your new Instagram picture that you're thinking of posting so that you can pat yourself on the back virtually. <laughs> um, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Um, does that image that you're trying to project even compare with what he has for you? Does it even, does it, it, it doesn't even give a little shadow on, on the glory that we have in Christ. Um, so it, it helps to remember that. Um, and then also to have compassion for your neighbor. I know everybody puts their judgy pants on one leg at a time, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I hop into mine with both feet. Yeah, you do. Jen, Jen's wearing a cape right now, so I wish you could see her here Jen's in our little studio. Cape. Yeah, she legitimately has a cape on. Mm-hmm. Awesome. It says um, "Women um, of the Word" on the back. It's strange. <laughs> Happy birthday, Women of the Word! Uh, by the way. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Indeed. Yeah. Uh, that book keeps selling out off of our book table. We have to keep ordering more. Well, Praise God. It, it's a good sign. Everywhere in the world yeah. it's selling out. Like, who would it have is. thought? It is. Jen Big Time Wilkin, yeah. man. I'm, and well, her, her second book's really good, too. Gloria, you just you just it's, push the button that gets Matt going. I do. <laughs> well, just embrace who Christ's made you, Jen, and a best-selling author. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. embrace that. I don't know why you get anxious or embarrassed by this. So back and to then, missional motherhood. Oh, that's right. We're talking about your yeah, book, though, Gloria. We're yeah. Talking about your book. Uh, you know, Gloria, you um, there are lots of books on mothering out there, and you've taken this topic on multiple times. And so, if you were going to sum up, just you know, in one sentence, what it is you want women to take away from this book, what what would you what would you say? I actually made a sentence. You want to hear it? It's a- yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I love that you did that. You're like, I know they're going to ask it. This is an interview. Uh, yeah. Let me write this out. <laughs> they printed it in the, the front matter of the book. Here's the sentence. Jesus invites the women to missional motherhood, to follow his pattern, to trust his promises, and to nurture others by the power he provides. 
Dang, that's a good sentence. It's a good sentence. You can't take it. Well, you could take it, Jen. You just have to footnote it. Okay. So, <laughs> well, Gloria, I I love your whole family's commitment to the gospel and to the cause of Christ globally. And so it's a joy to, to know you, to read your books, and uh, really just to watch you and your family do ministry. Uh, and so thank you so much for being on with us today. Again, I'd if you're listening, I, I couldn't encourage you enough to check out Gloria's work, uh, but especially pick up a copy of Missional Motherhood. And, and we haven't said it yet, but th- this isn't just for women with children. And and so if you're interested in, in reading the book as a single woman or as a woman with no children who, who just wants to kind of get a sense for what God's doing um, throughout history uh, and his plan for r- redemption and reconciliation as uh, as a woman in the place that he has you. I, I just couldn't uh, recommend this book more highly. So, Gloria, thank you so much for being on with us. Thanks. Thank you so much. If there's anything you heard us talk about on the show today that you'd like to know more about, you can find details on the website at thevillagechurch.net. Just look at the episode descriptions on our podcast show page and you'll find uh, the information that you're looking for. On our next episode, we will have on special guest Alyssa Wilkinson, critic at large for Christianity Today and assistant professor of English and Humanities at King's College in New York City. If you have a question, uh, let us know on social media using the hashtag AskTVC. See you next time. God bless. God bless.